welcome to episode 37 of the Owl and Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen and we are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to current events and pursue truth as we seek to live for Christ. Good morning again, Helen. Another early start uh, for this episode. Um, are you doing? Are you doing all right today so far? Yes, I am. Good morning. I am doing well, thank you. I quite like early mornings, actually. Yes, I'm. I'm getting more into kind of the early morning thing as well. Um, I say early morning. It's not. It's not that early, is it? I mean, we're not talking no. like five a.m. here. Not getting up to like milk that. the cows early. No. <laughs> no. No, those 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 days are gone, aren't they? Yeah. Um any any plans? Oh yes. Week I'm, ahead? Well, I'm feeling a bit guilty actually, because I'm quite excited about having five days of peace and quiet all on my own, my family going away. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Are you, are you going to use that time for anything exciting or um or not? You're not you've No not worked uh, that out yet no i've got lots of jobs lined up i've got you've, lots of work to do as well actually so you've made Before yourself a list yes exactly that's exactly what i've done yeah i see i see <laughs> well yeah I, but you're uh, going away as well aren't you i am going away that is correct same uh, destination camping yeah five five nights of under canvas the weather, the weather has not been camping um, positive. No, <laughs> that's it, really. <laughs> so I, I hope that the weather will change over the next few days or so. Not that I would class myself as a fair weather camper because you can't do that in this country. We don't have that luxury, do we? Really? No, you have to be prepared for all weathers. I think here we do. We do. But I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, so um, we wanted to try and get a new podcast episode in before we um, have a little bit of a break. So this 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 episode is is not not very far off the the previous one, and it's been interesting just very briefly just to, just to look at one of the things that we touched on last time, which was. Nigel Farage being cancelled by his bank coots and what we've seen this week in the fallout from that and it really has highlighted the reality of of the creeping removal of freedoms hasn't it Helen yeah. and it's been interesting to observe what has happened in the mainstream media and how they've commentated on this as well hasn't it did you think that well yeah because the um the ceo has had to resign hasn't she uh dame she allison rose who we mentioned last time um and yeah apparently uh, liberal commentators have been bemoaning the fact that we've lost a good female ceo in dame allison rose which I find intensely irritating, actually, because it shouldn't make any difference, should it, whether she's male or female. If you behave badly, then you should go. That's right. I, I agree. In fact, I'm always reminded of when Tony Blair came into power. It was 1997, I think, wasn't it, 
when Labour came into power. Do you remember back that far? I do remember. Yeah, it was around then because I was still a student. Yeah. And one of the one of the buzzwords of the Labour campaign was meritocracy. Do you remember that? And no, I don't build, remember building that. A, building a society where people are essentially rewarded for their um, hard work. To, it's not about your background. It's about um, being rewarded on the basis of merit. Hmm. If only that were true. If only that were true. <laughs> and this, these commentators just purely commentating on the fact that um, obviously Dame Alison Rose is a female, uh, adult human female. She's a woman. And <laughs> she has resigned. And instead of really pointing out, well, whether it was right or wrong what the bank did, they're saying, well, look at Farage and what he stands for. And, and we've lost a good female um, CEO. And like you say, Helen, it shouldn't it shouldn't matter whether somebody's a man or a woman in this particular instance. It should be, are they the right person for the job? But we don't live in a meritocracy. That's very much evident from how our culture operates. Um, and we've also seen, of course, people like uh, Reverend Richard Fothergill being put to one side in, in this um, story about the bank now, haven't we? Because it's all about Nigel Farage. But the reality is there's many more people that this kind of approach that banks have taken has affected. But anyway, it was it, it was interesting. But um, the weather's not been great, has it? I mean, we've, we started off by chatting through the, the, the weather this, this week with the view to possible camping next week. And we hope that the weather will change. But it really has been quite... Quite a grim July, I think. Do you think yeah. that? Because June was has... nice. June was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I I quite like the sun. Um, I quite like the warm, and I've had to put a vest on. It's so cold. A vest on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit personal, isn't it? But well, yeah, it's chilly. I, if somebody mentions a vest, I always think of Onslow. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping up appearances. But anyway, let's not go down. Um, peculiar rabbit holes at this point. So we wanted a kind of segue into the weather because what you'll have also noticed this week is the weather has been very much in the news, particularly with things like the fires in um, Greece and particularly the island of Rhodes. And we've been led to believe, I think, if you just arrived in the West and you turned on your television or you you started to look at the internet, you would think that the world around you is burning down, wouldn't you, Helen? Uh, you would, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, talk of it all the time and lots of um, pictures of reporters standing near fires. And um, I mean, it's not, it, it's not, um, it's something that I do, understand to some degree and and do take seriously because I grew up in the New Forest and um, people may or may not know that forest fires are quite common there and um, mm. growing up I remember every year I mean we used to get really hot summers um, and and it really burns up in the forest there um, 
every, you know all the grass disappears everything turns brown and and it's like a tinderbox and yes. every year we'd have forest fires and um because we we're farming and I lived we lived in a thatched house and um surrounded by woodland and and sometimes I remember one year where my dad was actually quite concerned about it because we could see the smoke and we could see the fire wasn't far away um but those fires were always they were caused by either glass on the ground or cigarettes or barbecues or arson that's what caused the fires glass um, on the ground that, yeah, I've if, not heard yeah. that one before. So yeah, like a beer bottle or something. Yes. Or, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. okay. So if the sun catches a piece of, I think it's quite often a piece of broken glass, then it can act like a magnifying glass. Right, yes. And cause a fire. Oh, um, so, you know, they're not pleasant and they are sometimes dangerous, but they are the realities of summer heat. Yes, and, and that is, that's, that's a good point to start with, isn't it? Because... Certainly what is clear if you look at uh, legacy media, as we should be calling it, or mainstream news, as it might more commonly be known as, these fires are caused or the cause is implied as being climate change. But the reality is that the cause will be like what, what you said, which is either natural causes, in other words, um, it's hot and somebody has inadvertently left something which has caused a fire, or as we have seen, particularly in instances in the Greek islands, arson has had a real impact here. But this, we we, we are effectively being, being given a, a particular narrative, aren't we? And the narrative comes from multiple agencies and all those agencies basically spin the same story they sing the same song we've had all this before as well haven't we helen we heard we obviously we had this with with covid and everybody well the mainstream at least all towed the party line and all gave the same story and the same narrative and now that story has so many holes in it that it cannot stand up to scrutiny at all but um the UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres has stated that climate change is here. It is terrifying and it is just the beginning. And then he added, the planet is entering an era of global boiling. Well, that's alarmism, isn't it, Helen? It's just that's just utter nonsense, isn't it? So temperatures is. might be around 40 degrees, but soon there'll be 100 degrees. Be boiling point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember so, yeah. so, summers in the eighties where it, it, the, the the thermometer would sometimes climb to the nineties, yeah. you know, and it would be hot. It would just be simply a hot summer. That's what the nineties, but not with. not Celsius. Oh, not Celsius! No, 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 no. That, <laughs> I that think would that's be what he's little, talking about. Be little, little, little too hot. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it, but yeah, it's, it's ludicrous to su suggest. It's, it's getting to boiling point. Yeah, you're totally right. But th this kind of language is, um, excuse the pun, inflammatory, isn't it? And it's used intentionally to to scare and uh, coerce people. Um, one of the other agencies um, in the propagation of this uh, this particular narrative is, of course, the European Union, and they have said they want to sign contracts for up to 12 firefighting planes in order to improve 
their ability to fight blazes fueled by climate change. And apparently these planes would be the first it would fully own. But again, it's it's this is how it works, isn't it? It's it's putting in the phrase fueled by climate change rather than saying we want to tackle forest fires, which by and large will start because of it's summer and this is normal, or it will start because somebody has started it on purpose or has left something outside they shouldn't have done. That's very different to saying climate change, isn't it, Helen? Yeah. Yeah. And and if you stop and have a think about it, what they're saying is that maybe maybe a degree or so in change of temperature can make all the difference to suddenly spontaneously combust areas of of the world and and that's just it's just not true it's just not true it's you know a combination of things um like i said before cause the fires and then the conditions if it's hot if there's a wind going in a particular direction yeah. um if the ground is already warm and the grass is long and dry then you've got the perfect conditions and you 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 have and you only you only have to go to um a hot country on holiday to realize that fires are a common thing in summer so for for a number of years now certainly since the early 2000s I've periodically been to to Greece and in Greece and the islands around the Aegean and probably other areas as well they have these firefighting planes which are seaplanes so they land on the water they kind of fly and they kind of come in they land on on the sea and as they as they're going along the surface of the water they scoop up water inside the airplane and then they take off again they don't stop they take off and fly to where the fire is and dump the water on the fire and this is common and they have these airplanes because this is what happens in summer and they've had these airplanes for years literally years it's it's not a new thing it's just like you say this is part of what happens but this truth is being suppressed actively and this is what we're hopefully pointing out here um, well, just just um i i don't know about the, the case in greece i imagine it's the same um where i grew up they used to um as part of managing that that risk uh, they used to create fire breaks so they would mm-hmm. um clear particular areas of the forest so that if if and when a, f- a fire happened it would at some point reach a fire break and then it would be able to be contained so it wouldn't spread across the whole forest and it, i was interested when there were the fires you remember in australia yes um and again there was lots of you know fear-mongering going on there or it's all climate change and then i heard an interview which was not on the mainstream um surprise surprise uh, with um a, a chap who had grown up um in the areas where the fires were um and he said we're used to dealing with this and he said the problem is that the ways that we've always had of managing this have been stopped so they have stopped creating the fire breaks they have stopped doing all the things that we have known for generations mm-hmm. are what we must do in order to manage natural fires 
these things have all been stopped and this is why we've got such a problem now but no one was talking about that very interesting but that's how this works that's how these um, these lies are propagated they're propagated not only through the media but through the preventing or the the halting of particular policies and actions that are good that do help reduce the impact of something you take those things away and then you can then you've got more license haven't you to say well look this is climate change in action look how many fires there are now there's more fires rather than actually saying well actually there's more fires because we've taken away the preventative measures yeah it's interesting isn't it so there's a team of uh, climate scientists every time you hear the word scientist in the, in the media always have an alarm bell go off in your head by the way really important and this particular team goes under the group of the world weather attribution group and they have said that this month's intense heat wave in southern Europe, North America and China would have been virtually impossible without human-induced climate change. And again, it's just reinforcing that idea that, that climate change is caused by people and we are essentially the problem. But this, this is going to um, potentially upset some people, but... Consider how climate change, as in the phrase, is presented. We we could certainly argue that there is no such thing as climate change. And of course, if we did that, we'd be denigrated then as climate change deniers, wouldn't we, Helen? Yep. However, that would be us assuming the definition of climate change as being something that is changing by a significant margin and is caused by people. On the other hand... If we go with a simple definition, and when I say simple, I'm just meaning straightforward, clear definition of climate change, as in there can and are small changes in the climate over time, then we would certainly agree that climate change exists, wouldn't we, Helen? Yeah, I mean, climate has has never, as far as we know, been static. No. Um you know, and then it, it, the question you could ask is then, well, what is the perfect climate? Exactly, exactly. It's become a loaded term. It's become a weaponized term. It's become a term that basically attributes something negative towards mankind. And we've got to be, I think as Christians, it's important that we are just alert to how language is used and we're alert to how language is manipulated because that's how people are manipulated. But anyway, going back to the World Weather Attribution Group, um, these are a group of scientists that are mainly based in UK, US and Netherlands. They apparently have studied recent heat waves to identify they would call the fingerprint of climate change. Now, interesting. Can I just oh, stop you then. there? Yeah, well, yeah, go. One thing I thought about this, this thing of the fingerprint of climate change. Do you not think it's it's like saying it's a thing? It's it's like it's some nefarious being to be feared. You know, yes, it's even got exactly. a fingerprint. Yes. 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 Something that's to be feared. And equally, this thing that's to be feared is your fault. Isn't it? But yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. It's kind of giving 
a living agency to this particular ideology, essentially. So this work, the World Weather Attribution Group, um, they partner, one of their partners, is Imperial College London. So I'm thinking, well, that's a good track record there, isn't there? Because if we are to um, look at um, their impact on COVID policy, um, it was appalling, to put it, to put it mildly. I would argue evil, actually. Anyway, and these uh, predictions and conclusions that they come to, they're derived through climate modelling, aren't they, Helen? Yeah, it's that that issue again of modelling, isn't it? And um, I think we've said before, uh, modelling is all very well, but the results that it gives are completely dependent on the information put into it. And so much of that involves unknowns. So models can come up with all sorts of predictions, which, as we saw in COVID, uh, ended up with some absolutely wild predictions. And Imperial College had a form on that score because they'd done that many times before. Yes. And and these these aren't predictions that are interesting but wrong. They are impacting people's lives in the everyday in terms of the policies that government come to. But let's we'll come to that in a sec, because what's interesting and what's important, I think, is when you hear about a group, so for example, the World Weather Attribution Group, and there's many others that will be mentioned in the news. If you have time, we would encourage you to do a little bit of digging about that particular group. Just find out a little bit more about them because it's often quite insightful. So so this particular group, they say this. They say, through extensive media engagement, including The Guardian, The Daily Mail, The Times, Scientific American, CBS, BBC, and many more, the WWA, which is the World Weather Attribution Group, has helped to change the global conversation around climate change, influencing adaptation strategies and paving the way for new sustainability litigation. That's from them. And this actually shows what this is about. This is why when you look at the mainstream media, you will see the same narrative infiltrated throughout the different outlet sources. And this is why these organisations exist as well, because ultimately they're about creating a sphere of influence over our lives through affecting policy change uh, that eventually filter down to the, the everyday. And the funding, of course, of these organisations largely come from foundations and grants. And that is a little bit more challenging to get to the bottom of that. But I wouldn't be too surprised when uh, it becomes clear which foundations are behind this. What do you reckon, Helen? Oh, well, there's always some money behind it, isn't it? There's and always some money. Yeah. Usually the same players. It is usually the same players. But the, this this is it lifts the lid, doesn't it, on what's actually what's actually happening here? Um, and I think it's it's worth our while being alert to it. We don't have to be experts on it, but we do have to be alert to it because otherwise we're much more likely to be taken in by often the lies that they peddle in order to um, to control. 
But July has been apparently the, the warmest month in the past 120,000 years. Except in England, not Except here. Except in England, yeah. Mm. I mean, if, if that's that's of course if you believe that that we've been here for 120,000 years, that's a different podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, well, how how do they work that out, Helen? Do you have any idea? <laughs> well, I don't think someone's been sitting there making records for 120,000 years. Um, <laughs> apparently, they it's use probably, probably uh, a graph in a cave somewhere. Isn't yeah, it? somewhere. Yeah, um, but they use records like um the air trapped in polar ice cores or sediments in the deep ocean and these apparently capture a signal of the climate at the time um now i don't know exactly how that is done but of course what it's not going to tell them is oh yes in july um 103,000 years ago the temperature was 29.3 degrees that you know that's that's not what it's going to be telling them so i don't know how they extrapolate this information and um but i mean it just sounds absurd doesn't it might be the hottest july we've had for 120,000 years might be yes. or it might not it be might, might might be could be yeah who knows uh, the fact is they don't know they're making it up um so if you if you go to church you're listening to this and you go to church which is is a reasonable assumption although although you might not as we said before, if you're listening to this and you're not Christian, that's fantastic as well. It's great that you, you, you're listening to what we're talking about. We really hope it's helpful and, and encouraging you to think about the key things in life. But anyway, for those of you who do go to church, I would suspect that it's quite likely that your church is complying with the climate change alarmist narrative. Do you do you have any experience of that in churches you've attended, Helen, over over the years? Um, I do. Or has it been a less of a thing for you? Because I've certainly noticed it for, for myself. Well, thankfully, I have not experienced it in my current church. Well, that's um, brilliant. That's excellent. Which is, is great. But I have experienced it elsewhere, yes. Um, yeah, definitely have. And um, it's, it makes me quite uncomfortable, particularly when I hear people who are clearly fearful and um yes. yeah it's it's quite sad it is sad and it could be that if your church does talk about the climate change alarmist narrative and by the way they wouldn't call it that they would just talk about praying for climate change it could be that your church maybe has won an eco award and if you're not sure what they are do listen to our previous podcast where we cover a church that got a gold eco award or you might hear a lot of praying for the climate from the front on a sunday morning for example those are signs that your church is subscribing to the climate change alarmist narrative but ask yourself this question where did the prompting to align with a climate change alarmist narrative come from? Was it from God or from the world? And the answer to that question is hugely important because it tells you whether this is right or not. And I strongly suspect you'll find it's the latter. But anyway, let's go back to um, the WWE. A um, the study it considered the role of El Nino as well, which is a naturally occurring climate fluctuation, and um, it leads 
to higher global temperatures as warm waters rise to the surface in the tropical Pacific Pacific Ocean and push heat into the air. But then the study that the WWA did, it concluded that El Nino probably played a small part, but that increased temperatures from burning fossil fuels was the main driver in the more intense heat waves. Well, it's good that they mentioned El Nino, isn't it, Helen? Because that that has been a known thing for a very long time now. It has been a known thing, and it's been known that it's very powerful. It is, and it causes all sorts of fluctuations in seasons and temperatures and whether we get hot summers, cold winters and all the rest of it. Yeah, but all of a sudden, it's it's not very significant anymore. No, no. And it's, it's putting... It's, it's, saying you know isn't it that the, this created system that that clearly impacts the earth has a minimal impact and it switches around the emphasis to the greater impact being caused by people it it is quite something really i think when and again this is what happens in these kind of the framing of narratives where a truth will be mentioned but the truth will be given secondary importance to the lie that is being peddled. And when that's done, it help, it kind of helps people buy the con, buy the lie, because they think, oh, yes, I've heard of El Nino. And they're mentioning that, so that at least they're aware of it. But they're still saying, despite that, they're still saying that climate change is man's fault. And that that's the that's the clever aspect to it, isn't it, Helen? That's how these things work. Yeah, yeah. It's um <clears throat> it, it's quite quite a big problem. And I think um it's become we've talked about this before, it's become an ideology. It's become almost like a religion and it, um, it is a religion. <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself on the receiving end of of uh, some comments the other day when um, I'd just made a little comment when someone had been um, pushing back against the narrative about you know farming being um, a problem causing climate change and all the rest of it um, and I wasn't the only one but but when I did oh my goodness the the vitriol and the abusive and um, completely it's a form of cancelling i suppose where you just you just um throw every possible uh, nasty comment at someone because of their because of their view and and this is the kind of thing there's no doesn't appear to be any room for intelligent debate or asking legitimate questions if you question the narrative you're a bad person and you deserve everything doesn't matter what it is every form of abuse and ridicule and um yeah being thrown out from the pack that's I think really that, bad. that's how it works um, and were these um were these people that you thought would have a similar view to yourself or be more sympathetic to your view or oh, were, no, you, were you definitely going into the lines then no well i mean I, it was a this is the trouble with social media, which is why I hate it and generally keep away from it when I can. Um, you know, when you're on on somewhere, I mean, this was um, on a 
particular on a farmer's account. And obviously he he was making very sensible points, but there are obviously people who follow him, troll him, I expect. And and I know farmers who speak out on all sorts of issues um, around veganism and climate change and different things. And they face this sort of abuse all the time. I think they're amazing for keeping on going, but they're just determined to put their side of the story. But yeah, it's yeah. I mean, we 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 saw this back in back in the early COVID days. I mean, first of all, we saw it with with people who weren't wearing a face mask or weren't social distancing. And if those if people questioned it either through their actions or saying, "Well, hold on a minute, this this seems this is a bit bonkers," there was a pile on wasn't there? Yeah. And this happened yeah. multiple times. And this is before we even got onto the whole vaccine thing. Yeah. And it is, what what it's done is it's lifted a lid on how easily the majority of people in this country are manipulated and how easily and quickly they will subscribe to an ideology while simultaneously not recognizing the tyranny that fuels that it's astonishing yeah. and we're, we're seeing the same we're seeing the same thing played out in this very much so i think as well we've said this before but um these narratives are often given away by the presence of words such as like probably maybe could be might be <laughs> And again, we saw that we saw that in COVID, and we're seeing this in the climate change alarmism narrative as well. So do look out for that. Do look out for that. And um, yeah, anything else on that? Well, shall we move on? No, move on. Okay, dokie. Yeah. So this is a kind of this is a sort of a linked thing. I think we got a little bit of a theme here, but the, but you'll also have probably seen in the news there was a fire in a a ship um, in in from I think it was coming from was it from holland going from holland um in the north sea and it had around three thousand cars on board but it's thought that the fire is being caused by an electric car and it's it's a pretty bad situation um sadly one crew member has died and most of the other crew have well all the other crew have been rescued apparently it's not the first time that this has has happened in terms of there's being fire risks from cars and electric cars are not uh, not only a fire risk but they're also really they're really heavy as well aren't they Helen they're I really didn't know that didn't you know, did you not no. hear that one so no. there was there's been questions about i think it's mainly to do with older multi-story car parks and questions around well, if that car park has predominantly electric cars in it, which are far well, far heavier than a petrol or diesel car normally, will the structure be able to take the weight? I, I don't know the answer to that question. It might be absolutely fine. Who knows? But that's certainly certainly something being being raised. And um, what it's bringing to light is that electric cars are not the the answer to everything that that many are hoping for and certainly not how they've been billed as because let's face it they're really bad for the environment 
to produce really bad in terms of especially the batteries. I mean, we've had this for a long time with things like mobile phones and iPads and laptops as well, which you know use the same battery technology, albeit the smaller batteries. And as for the people mining the materials, including children, it's it's a pretty shocking way of life, isn't it, Helen? So they're not they're not electric cars aren't as squeaky clean as as they're made out to be. So it's a somewhat a confusing answer to an environmental problem, I think, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, and this technology, I mean, it's a it's a problem that we're all a part of, isn't it? All of us who who use all this technology, mm. um, so we're all a part of it. But the issue of electric cars, well, like you say, it's been painted as this sort of answer to everything, and electric cars are the way forward. And um, you know, I don't know how far that's going to go. And obviously, we all know that they're rather expensive to buy and oh, they're, hu- they're huge they're huge expensive and we're going to get on to and you might be asking a question what why why are you talking about electric cars it'll become clear in a minute but it's not only it's not only electric cars uh, batteries for e-bikes they've been that's e-bike that's electric bike a bicycle a bicycle by the way is the most efficient form of transport i don't know if you knew that not electric bike but just a bike a regular bike. bike, a proper bike, but anyway, e-bikes. These these bikes where um, often you'll be cycling up a hill, and an older person will cream past you, uh, sat down, pedaling yeah. slowly. It's very frustrating. But they will be on. <clears throat> they won't be Lance Armstrong or Mark Cavendish. They will be on an e-bike. But anyway, they've been in the news quite a bit as a number of these bikes have caught fire because the batteries have basically spontaneously combusted and in some cases causing really serious fires. I mean, I know personally one person whose house burnt down because of their electric bike. Oh. And it and it was shocking. It was it was an awful, awful thing. Um so it's not um excuse a pun, it's not a flash in a pan, this particular one. And interestingly, this has actually led to calls for e-bikes to be regulated in the same way as fireworks. Can you believe that? <laughs> Heavy machinery or, or medical devices because of the fire risk they pose. Or keep them in a biscuit tin. You keep them in a biscuit tin, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And furthermore, on the kind of environmental impact that, that e-bikes and electric cars have, I mean, we talked about the fact that it's really bad in terms of how the batteries are produced. But it, but one um, study that's found on the Science Direct website, again, as ever, take it with a pinch of salt, but it's, it's interesting. They claimed that CO2 emissions from electric car production are 60% higher than those for the production of ICE vehicles. And if you wonder what ICE vehicles is, that's simply an acronym for internal combustion engine vehicles. In other words, petrol and diesel cars. Um, So yeah, anything, any comments on that, Helen, or is it? (laughs) No, it's getting beyond my sphere of knowledge, really. (laughs) (laughs) But these, these, these are the, the, the two, the two interesting points. I think we, we want to draw um, your attention to, which are, are linked to this. And I think this is what I would describe as something which is worth clocking, not something to worry about, but something just to have, pay attention and to have in the back of your mind. The first thing is that 
a lot of cars these days, if you have a modern car, I mean, I don't have a modern car um, in the sense of it's like the last couple of two or three years. But if you have a car that is fairly up to date, say two or three years old, you're very likely to, you'll have a big, big screen in your car. You will link it to your iPhone or your Android phone. And your phone will essentially be linked through to your car so you can listen to music, you can navigate, take calls, answer answer texts, that kind of thing. And an electric car will be integrated into that even more so. And it's perfectly conceivable that a car can be deactivated against the owner's will. So, for example, should there be a climate, in quotes, lockdown, or perhaps your social credit score is not quite as high as it should be, then the local governments might decide that they are going to prevent you from travelling, and they'll do that simply by clicking a button on their computer, and you will no longer be able to drive your car until you have fulfilled whatever criteria they are asking you to. And the reason for that will be, in effect, your car is a smart car so it's linked with your phone and in america the biden administration has actually already proposed um, a bill that enables in-car technology or will paves the way for in-car technology to monitor driving for example and to disable the car if needed so whilst that might not quite be a kill switch, it is certainly a Trojan horse that leads to much more sinister applications. So just, you know, that's not happening yet, but park that in your mind and think about that one a little bit. This is why electric cars are uh, are a good thing for everybody to have. The second interesting one on in this is in if you live in London or in London area, you'll probably be all too aware of the ultra low emission zone, the ULES scheme, and <clears throat> I'm sure it drives you nuts. And it, and Sadiq Khan probably makes you even more cross about your um, financial situation because with the expansion of this ULES zone. Um, in 29th of August, I believe it is, <clears throat> then if you don't have a ULES compliance car and you use it, to simply use it, you'll be charged £12.50 a day, which is astronomical. And apparently any money that's received from this scheme is reinvested into running and improving London's transport network. So basically, you'll be paying to use your own car in order to pay for transport infrastructure that you may not use or need to also pay for if you do, which sounds to me like a kind of form of robbery, I think. But it gets worse because the ULES scheme is not a good enough cash cow, it would seem. And uh, Sadiq intends to push on with a pay-per-mile scheme instead. And this is what it's all about, isn't it, Helen? Do you see the links here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not going to just be London, is it? These, oh, no, it's not going to just be London. Schemes coming to cities and towns near you soon. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Of course it's not good. Of course it's not good at all. But... The, and you again might be thinking, well, why are you telling us this? What's relevant? Well, stick with us and it will become clearer. 
Have you noticed when you're driving along, particularly on a motorway, the sheer number of cameras? Have you, have you ever looked at the number of cameras on a motorway? And I'm not yeah. just talking about speed cameras. I'm talking about cameras on poles. Um, have you ever noticed any no, of those? No, huh? I haven't, but I'm going to have a bit of a look next time. I, I don't go on um, big roads very often. Well, you don't, you don't have big roads where you live. You have <laughs> no, gravel, gravel really. tracks where you live, yeah. don't you? Um, but so when I was, I was driving down the M3 a while ago, and I was about, I think it was, probably 40, 40 miles from home. I thought, okay, what I'll do, I noticed how many cameras were. I'll just, I'll just start, I'll just count them. I'll keep a rough mental tally how many I pass. So including average speed cameras, cameras on poles, you know, a, a camera of some description. <clears throat> and I counted up, I think I got to, I got to a hundred, a hundred cameras. Before and well, this wasn't, like, wasn't all just on motorway, by the way, either. So I said um, two per two per mile or something. Oh yes, yeah. In some cases, there'd be there'd be multiple cameras per mile. Have you ever watched the program Hunted? Have you heard of that? Have you seen that on TV? I haven't seen it. No. Okay, so so it's basically like a kind of escape game program. So they they have a group of people. They drop off in one part of the country. And they don't have, did they have a mobile phone? I can't remember anyway. But basically what they have to do, they have to evade capture until they get to a finishing point. And if they get to the finishing point successfully, they'll win a load of money. But what's, obviously it's TV. Okay, so a lot of it's, um, what's the word? It, it, it's, it's perhaps exaggerated. But what's really interesting is that they were showing how they got access to all cameras on on roads and how they can track car registrations and they know, oh, this person's got into this car and they're driving up this road, or they've used the ATM machine. So an ATM machine um, where you get money out has a camera in it. Did you know that? Um, I didn't know that, but what I do know, yesterday I was standing in a little co-op and watching because I had to wait for the lady to come back to the cash till she was helping someone on one of these um self-service payment things which i yep. never use but i could see they each have a camera they do they have they have a camera and they're taking your photograph who knows what happens to that um but that's in a sense yeah your 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 data so yeah and then it's just really interesting seeing how these these cameras are actually actually used but that's how that's how these paper mile schemes will actually work so when you see these these cameras by the side of the road they will be used to track cars and work out where you are how much money you need to pay and all the rest of it and we're not moving in a good direction so why is this relevant to christians well it's relevant because it points us to we believe a near future. We're not talking about a long time in the future. We, we like to think that all the bad things are always a long way away. We're conditioned to think that. We've got to stop thinking like that because it's it's silly. Um, neither do we worry, but we just need to be realistic. And this does point us to uh, a near future where the freedoms we have now won't exist. And I think sadly we will find that that the freedom that we currently have to share our faith and to live it out will be also one of those freedoms that will go or be severely curtailed and 
right now we're pointing to the overwhelming number of different things being put in place to facilitate this tyranny, whether we're talking about climate change alarmism or whether we're talking about electric cars and how that's a mechanism for control or the ultra-low emission zones. And we'll talk about something else in a minute as well, which is quite interesting. And we we can see that all this infrastructure is being put in place now. And it's done on a massive scale. We don't know when this is going to come to pass exactly, but we do know that we should be a people of faith, a people of hope, a people of perseverance. And it causes us to look to Christ, doesn't it, Helen? Because it causes us to realise that this world is not it. That if we put our faith in the systems of this world, we are going to be subsumed into it and we are going to be ultimately destroyed. And none of us want to be be that. Um, any thoughts on that one? Well, I think um, I think we need to be awake to these realities. Um, and I think that too many people are, are not. Mm. Um, they are asleep. Um, which I, you know, to some degree, I can understand. You don't want to, um, you know, it's easier, isn't it, just to kind of go with the flow and uh, shut your eyes to things that are not comfortable. But, um, but I think it's really important as Christians that we that we are awake to what's going on in the world. And I think the Bible warns us so often to be alert and to be awake to to what's going on around us because the enemy prowls around and is looking for people to devour. Um, And, and it's only when we are uh, awake to the realities of what's going on that we are, are going to be actively sticking close to God um, and taking his word seriously and putting that into practice in our lives. You know, it's not a it's not a passive thing. We have to do that actively. We have to make a decision every day to be doing that. We do, we do, and and pra- practically speaking, this is a, this is a great time to build networks with with fellow believers, um, and a network which, if you can, if at all possible, is not one that's online, but one that's physical and in-person, which will take more effort and organisation. We're not saying don't do anything online. What we're saying is, if you can, don't substitute the real for the virtual, so to speak, because it's really important that we can uh, not be reliant on technology, ultimately reliant on God, but we can build community and and to do that in person we want to be clear in case people might misunderstand us here this is not we're not suggesting some kind of bizarre doomsday cult approach to life or anything like that it's not that that would be terrible it's simply about recognizing the signs of what's happening in the world and starting to put things in place so that we can be found to be standing on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And like you were saying, Helen, we've got to we've got to wake up to what's happening. And and I think you you certainly hear very much these phrases now. 
is your church awake or asleep? And this is what we're talking about. Is your church awake to what is happening in the world? How this is, how this will impact us? And are we aware of it? And are we planning for how we might live under this rapidly changing world? And in order to do that, the, ch- the church does need to be awake, doesn't it, Helen? It does. And, um, you know, I think we've talked about before, um, I think there's coming, uh, uh, it might be a new form of persecution, but we have to be ready for that. And as Christians, I think it's highly likely that we are going to increasingly face um, persecution. So, so you know, the... The importance of our faith being strong, of us being um, in community together, is going to be more important than ever. Um, and I, I think we're going to see a, a sort of emergence of, for want of a better word, the the true church. I think yes, um, we are. You know, it's through the it's through the fire that that um, I think we're going to see those that are prepared to stand and and I think many are likely to fall away um but you know we've said before about totalitarianism taking hold in the west and I think as becoming increasingly evident and um I think Christianity is is going to um be a natural enemy of that kind of um system so so i think i think that's reality that we're going to be facing i totally agree and we to 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 be awake to that reality is is not to be fearful this is really important it's not to be fearful it's to be alert to what's happening in the world and so so that we we invest in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and make sure that our foundation is on on Him. And in Matthew twenty four, which is a passage that we've mentioned on and off the last twelve months or so, I think Jesus Jesus says, and this is Him speaking to His disciples and speaking to us here today, particularly actually. And He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this is what this is about. We don't want to have a love that grows cold. We want to stand firm to the end. And we and we avoid a love that grows cold by being alert to what's happening in the world so that we remain hot in our faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to be concerned about temperature, don't be concerned about the temperature of the climate be concerned about the temperature of your faith and passion and love for the lord jesus shall we move on to our last thing yeah okay yeah okay so i'm sure some of you will have heard of this this thing called chat gpt and if you haven't um i'll explain so chat GPT is a form of artificial intelligence. It stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, which if you've not heard of it, that's not going to make you any the wiser, I don't think. But basically what it is, is a website that you can go to 
it's not loads of websites. There's one website where you go to where you have a, a form of like fields that you fill in and you tell this thing called chat GPT what you want it to do. And it's really, really versatile. So it can, for example, write and debug computer programs. It can compose music. It can create a fairy tale, can write student essays. It can answer test questions. It can generate business ideas. It can do a script for a video based on what a particular script writer would write. Or you might say, I want to have a video about trains directed in the style of Christopher Nolan. And it might come up with some suggestions for you there. It's been fascinating and alarming in um, almost equal measure. And it, it is, like I said, it is a form of artificial intelligence. It has real world implications today. But what we want to chat through now, not chat GPT, but just chat through is the organization behind this isn't content with the status quo of just developing this platform. They want to conduct artificial intelligence research with the intention of developing safe and beneficial artificial general intelligence which are highly autonomous systems that outperform humans at most economically valuable work. That's interesting, isn't it, Helen? We're, we're actively being ousted by a computer in terms yeah. of um, economically viable work. Perhaps the idea is that people won't need to work and we can have a computer do our work for us instead. Uh, I suppose that means we'll have, need some kind of universal basic income, income, wouldn't it? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, just linking different aspects of this together there. Have you used it at all? Have you come across it? Oh, no. You're asking the wrong person. I'm such a, I'm, I'm so far removed from being a techie geek. I just, I belong in a different era. <laughs> stuff oh it's just insane i've heard lots of people talking about it doesn't interest me in the slightest um but it does concern me um you know this artificial intelligence i know a friend warned some years ago that this was going to become the big thing and um it looks like it is it's already here isn't it that, here. that that is yeah. that is the thing and i've first heard about it i think through one of my boys who, who was at secondary school and he was commenting on the fact that a teacher had asked another pupil in the class whether they had written their homework using chat gbt because the teacher suspected they might have i don't know what the answers be but that's that's often how how it can be it can be used and it can be used if you have a, a if you're into perhaps say you're building a website and you've got a bit of code that you can't quite get to work, you can put that into ChatGPT and it'll spit out the code that will work. So it has really serious potential implications for the way that we we work, how we use our time. Because if, if we are usurped by a computer or allow ourselves to be, I don't think that's a good thing. But this isn't 
this isn't what we're going to talk about because it, it gets better. It gets better because we just wanted to introduce ChatGBT. So one of the founders, a, a chap called Sam Altman, he has announced, and this founder's a ChatGPT, he has announced a plan to scan every retina in the world. Doesn't that fill you with joy, Helen? Oh, yeah, great. Yep. <laughs> and the venture, it aims to scan billions of eyeballs using a football-sized orb camera, I imagine. <clears throat> and these orbs will scan people's eyes to generate a, new, a unique digital record that... Um, Worldcoin, which I think is a cryptocurrency, calls a world ID or proof of personhood. So what we have here, we have a situation where we're we're actively potentially allowing computers to get us to prove who we are. And you'll have seen this in those of you listening to this, you'll you'll see this in your day to day life. When you log on to a, when you log into, let's say you log into your Yahoo email or your Gmail, sometimes, occasionally, you'll have one of those little pictures saying, "Click on all the squares that have a traffic light in it, or a car, or a fire hydrant." Have you ever had those, Helen? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. That's an example of the imbalance. The computer is getting you to prove who you are. Well, why should I do that? Why should I have to do that? So it's it's a bit of a murky world, is this one. And um, this chap, Mr. Altman, he argues it allows people to prove online that they are not robots or fraudsters. So the onus is on us to prove who we are. Do you see what, see what I mean here? It's, it's about us proving ourselves. Okay, there's a there's a problem in there somewhere. And uh, it's slightly ironic that the, that um, Sam Altman has said verification is necessary to counter the growing threat posed by artificial intelligence, a technology that he himself is at the front line of advancing. That's, it is slightly ironic. Currently, they they have around 150 of these working orbs and have deployed them around the world, including two in London. And and I think London is one of the cities that has more CCTV cameras than than most other cities in in the Western world. Um, so there you go. It's just another camera looking at looking at you in London. But this this is really this is really quite bad because it, it's again it's it's furthering this loss of privacy at pace. And what this is putting the kind of putting a piece of the jigsaw in place is where we are heading towards digital ID and central bank digital currencies. And digital ID will happen in this country. It is happening. And central bank digital currencies will happen in this country. That's not a future thing. It's being worked on right now to roll out in the UK. Once these things are in place, it will become very hard to live outside of it, won't it, Ellen? Because you, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, we've got a really good, I think, topic in a few weeks' time to cover, haven't we, on this particular issue of um, cash and or not, as the case may be. Quite an interesting one on that one. But if you don't use, if you if you are forced not to use cash, you have to use the system that people are asking you to use. Otherwise, you cannot buy food, you cannot buy fuel, you cannot pay for services 
in other words you can't you can't live very well at all um but one of the things uh, before we go on any comments helen on that um no i mean i think the the dangers are, are real um and when you say this is coming it it absolutely is and uh, rishi sunak has has stated that himself um this is not conspiracy theory this is reality it is it is reality and and the thing is many christians not mainstream ones but but good good men and and women have talked about the dangers of technology and what this posed to our freedoms and how this ultimately fits in with what the Bible tells us. And this is where I think often it can feel like we lose a lot of people. Because as soon as you start talking about, particularly about revelation, as we're going to in a moment, and about what's happening in the world, people have a sharp intake of breath and and like you say helen you say oh that's just conspiracy theory or they'll do the classic one which i heard somebody i was listening to somebody the other day talking about this a really good really sam preacher i think in many ways and um he was he was great to listen to and then he said he was asked about the whole covid thing and and the times we're living in. And, and basically the interviewer said, well, look, do you think we're living in the end times? And he goes, oh, no, no. I think we've got, you know, long time to go. I think historians will just look up, look back on this particular part of history as, as, a, as, a, as a blip. And we've, you know, we've had all sorts of things happen in the past where people thought, you know, the end was coming, like perhaps it was the Holocaust or, or particular famines or, or the Black Death. But, I think that that is incorrect to think like that because we've never had a situation like we've had in the last three years, not once in the history of the world, where there's been a concerted effort, people working together. And we've never had the means by which um, what is written about in Revelation can come to pass until now. So sadly on that one, I think this particular preacher is incorrect but the point i'm making is that we've got to embrace what the bible says and in revelation for example the bible uh this book last book in the bible if you don't know in in revelation it talks about the mark of the beast which many people have heard of and that the mark interestingly is one that is on the hat, the right hand or the forehead. And without this mark, nobody can buy or sell anything. So it's not a case of thinking, well, we just got to, we're going to get really worried about something. It's not that. It's a case of clocking what is happening in the world and seeing how it's moving us ever closer to that point where that biblical truth becomes reality. And this technology certainly contributes towards that, doesn't it, Helen? Yeah, it certainly takes us uh, closer to the to the possibility of, of this thing being put, being, um, uh, you know, becoming a reality, and and I think the the other thing that is is the case is that this is a global issue. 
that these are yes. these are now global powers that we're talking about. This is, um, you know, these different organisations that we talk about from time to time, like the World Economic Forum and others like it. These are global institutions and um, the things they are trying to do are on a global level. And that's something that, that like you say, we've never seen before. It's completely unprecedented, and we, yeah, we've never we've never had that before. And I'm reminded of that Bob uh, cartoon. It was a while ago now, where there's four photos of somebody with his smartphone saying, "Oh, this is so convenient." Do you remember that one? Well, like, we'll uh, link to Bob it. Bob Moran. Bob Moran. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it starts off you know, ordering food, ordering a taxi. And eventually the guy's in a prison cell, but he's still glued to his phone saying, this is so convenient. And Bob's point was that we've traded freedom for convenience. And we've got to be, as Christians, we've got to be awake for this. And the most recent example, of course, would be people getting an experimental gene therapy jab so they can go on holiday, which is nuts. And sadly, we're just seeing a fallout from that now and we'll continue to do so, which is awful. But 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 this is this is the mentality in which we often find ourselves and we struggle with ourselves. We have to wrestle with that. But this is why we talk about what we do, because it's not about being um, alarmed. It's not about being frightened, but it's about having our heads screwed on. And it's about making sure that we are looking towards that day when Jesus returns, whether that's in our lifetime or not. But that's what we're called to do. Shall we bring it into land now, Helen? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think one thing that that I wanted to pick up on here is that um, that I think, and I'm speaking for myself as well, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently, that we, we need to take God more seriously and we need to take his word more seriously. Um, in Proverbs, it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think in the church, I think we've lost a lot of the fear of the Lord um and i think it's it's important for us to listen to the words of jesus but also to look at the example of his life and and what he did um and he was not you know particularly the christmas story where we're we're told you know gentle jesus meek and mild he was he was no meek and mild man who mm. accepted the ways of the world and led a peaceful existence. He was a man of radical devotion and obedience to God. He spoke decisively and incisively with great wisdom and authority. And he had a sharp wit and tongue and was never afraid to challenge those in authority. Sometimes that was with utter defiance. He was he was full of compassion for the lost, but he was also full of hatred for evil. And and Jesus walked perfectly the narrow path of God's way because he was divine. Mm, And he calls us to be prepared to give up everything and to follow him. Um, Which, you know, this is not for the faint-hearted. And thankfully, he promises us the Holy Spirit to help us. So however weak and unworthy we might feel, he promises that the Holy Spirit will live within us and will help us to do what in our own strength is impossible. But we have to take seriously who God is and what this call to follow him actually means. 
Yeah, we do. We do. And that's such that is such a great exhortation to do that. Um because we have to be reminded, don't we? We have to be reminded about this. And I think taking God seriously, taking him at his word is what we are called to do. We're not to sit above his word, we're to sit beneath it. We sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he says and to put it into practice and to support one another in doing that because it is hard. It's not like saying hello and it's it's like preaching to ourselves, isn't it? We have to remind ourselves Mm. of this and tell ourselves of this. But we need other people to tell us as well. And we need to tell others. That's how it works. That's how the body of Christ is meant to function. But it's very hard to do that when part of the body is asleep. Yeah. Very hard to do that. There'll be some parts of the body, if you like, some parts of the church where they're awake. They're, they are on the rarer side, I think, certainly in the West at least. There's a large proportion which is asleep. But there is also a number which are stirring, where you're kind of giving people a bit of a shake and saying, look, wake up, this is what's happening. Wake up. And people go, oh, okay, they're kind of coming around. And that's amazing. But there's others who you shake and they just turn over and pull the duvet tight and say, go away, I want to sleep a bit more. And we just have to pray that God will keep us awake, but also wake others up. And if we can play a part in that, then brilliant. So just want to finish with some of the last words in the Bible. And interestingly, I was I was pondering as I was preparing for this, what, what are Jesus's last words to us in the Bible? I think instinctively, I would always think of something like, you know, Matthew 28, for example, or maybe maybe something in the beginning of Acts, something like that, you know, or, or where he speaks to Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus. But of course, Jesus' last words in the Bible are actually right at the end of the Bible. In fact, it's the the second to last verse in the Bible. And Jesus says something quite amazing. He says, yes, I am coming soon. Because a bit before that, in verse 12, Jesus says again, he says, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then going back to verse 20, at the end, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So the last words of Jesus recorded in the Bible is, yes, I am coming soon. And if we are to, as you're saying, Helen, take Jesus seriously, then coming soon means coming soon. We don't know exactly when that is going to be, but... He is coming soon because he said he is. And so we need to live like that and live for his return, that amazing day when we see him coming. Whether we are dead at that point and raised with him or whether we are still on this earth. And I wouldn't be surprised if we are still on this earth, but who knows? Who knows? 
So I hope that this is an encouragement to you. Do um, do share the podcast with anybody you think this would challenge, encourage, build up, get them to think a little bit more, help them in their process of waking from their slumber. There's many podcasts that are good for people to listen to. We are just one of many. Um, any Anything to add, Helen, as we finish now? No, I think that's a, a good place to finish. A good place to finish. Right. Well, look, you can find us on um, our link tree, which is on the Podbean link, uh, and um, and it's in yeah, it's in the, the notes to the podcast. You can join our Telegram group where we post um, occasional things. We don't put loads of stuff on there, so you won't be inundated. But we do put occasional things which we think are interesting. You can read Helen's Substack. You can support the podcast through Buy Me a Coffee, which is always appreciated. And of course, you can share it with people who you think this would help and do have a look through the subjects that we've covered we've we've got 37 36 episodes now haven't we and um we've covered a a wide range of things so do do have a look through and do listen to them and particularly check out the interviews that we've done as well and we're planning to do more of these but thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one yep see you then bye